Hi, this is Giuseppe. Hi, this is Anthony. And you're listening to For the Love of Sophia. A philosophy podcast brought to you by the Public Philosophy Project. If you have any questions or suggestions, feel free to email us at publicphilproject at gmail.com. Enjoy the ride. for part two of this difficult topic slash book. And I'm finishing eating my Nilla wafer, <laughs> the ASMR on the, on, the, on the podcast here. <laughs> hey, we better get some money from Nilla now. That's true. <laughs> we were, oh, you know what? Ooh, I'm cheap. These are Benton's. These are Aldi brand. <laughs> Nilla wafer, we can't afford that stuff. Right, they're good. I remember when I could eat those, they were good. So, last time we were kind of concluding our thoughts on this idea of uh, this general idea that Victor Stein gave us, gives mm-hmm. us about state of affairs and so on, and images and thoughts right. and right. stuff like that. So probably we should like kind of, mm-hmm. what can we say, resume there? What do you say? Yeah, so we're in this conversation uh, where we're talking about what exactly reality is how it has to do with thinking itself and logical rules and language. And where we left off, he, he has this idea that, um, that a logical picture of facts is a thought. So whenever you think something, the thing you're thinking of is a, as a logical picture of a fact. Exactly. Right. And, and the reason why it's a picture is because when you think of the tree, um, that's not the actual tree, yes, right? That you can touch. It's mm-hmm. kind of a snapshot of it. And the question here is, what exactly does that mean? <laughs> uh, well, it means that at the end of the day, if you're able to think about something, if you're able to think about it, it's you are able to to picture it. It is in the cards of those things involved in there to have that function somehow. Mm-hmm. It's still tied, in my opinion, to to this idea that 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 we can we can picture, you know, a state of affair. Mm-hmm. That's the only way in which you can there not there are certain things that you cannot think because mm-hmm. they're impossible. And being thought still a part of the world Yes. You cannot escape the same rules, so you're going to be in there, right? It's yeah, and, be there. and picture, we sh- I, uh, correct me if I'm wrong, but we shouldn't limit this to uh, visual. No. Right? No, because absolutely. you can have um, a thought of a sound mm-hmm. or a thought of a taste or something like that, and that's still part of the quote-unquote picture. Um, representation is just the key here, right? It's yes. a mental representation. Yes, and probably we can move away from picture here and think about Talk about thoughts, right? Yeah, and I have a kind of something I was wondering here. If thoughts are representations uh, of reality, and we generally think in abstractions and concepts, um, and language itself is kind of a, a result of this, yes. or vice versa, depending on how you see it, um, 
then he would say language is a is a picture or a representation of reality. Yeah, language is yes. Well, words are sentences are, and language is the system of representation. If you want, mm-hmm. it's like the camera, <laughs> right? If mm-hmm. we're talking about that, and uh, yeah, and and he thinks that language can represent what we say, what we think. Not sorry, what we say mm-hmm. can represent what we say, what we think again. Um, and yeah, yeah. I but it's not the thing. No, I wouldn't think it's the thing. Okay. I think it's just the, the, the representation of it. I think it's interesting that he believes that, kind of with Hegel, right, the, the counter of Hegel, he thinks that what, is, what we can think, it can exist. What mm-hmm. can be thought is possible. Mm-hmm. If you can think of something, that something is possible, which is strange, right, because we usually think, oh, I can think of things that are impossible. Right, right. And he says, no, if you can think of this possible. Metaphysically possible. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Which is interesting, right? Mm-hmm. And uh, and the consequence of this is like that we cannot think of anything that's illogical, which is kind of similar to what we were saying before. Oh, yeah. That's a good point. There's nothing that we can think of that is illogical. You could think you do, but you don't, he would say. N- no, because... How can you think illogically if the space right. where you think is logic? Yeah, I feel like the language here is tough because someone might push back and say, of course I could. I could say something like, you know, you come up with an argument, some premise, like all humans are mortal. Socrates is a human. Therefore, Socrates is not mortal. Mm-hmm. And you're like, that's an illogical thought. And if we're saying no, it's not, then I feel like the better way of understanding this is to say you can't have thoughts about things that are not real. Oh. This kind of ties to the conversation we had in Philosophy Club. Yeah, yeah. I think that he's saying something more in the line of, of course you can say that. Of course you can make that up, the syllogism. But you're not using your words correctly it's not that you're right. you're not illogical right you're still within realm of logic you just don't know what you're saying <laughs> right it's like you could say oh i could think of a four-sided triangle it's like no no no. you could think of the words four-sided being next to the word triangle exactly but you can't actually think of the thing that's supposed to be a picture of. exactly there's not there's no way you can do that and again you can right. you can make mistakes and actually contend that many people do you can make mistakes about the things that you say we're bound to make mistakes sometimes. We just, there's misunderstanding all the time. Mm-hmm. The problem is that even when those things are happening, you're not being illogical. You see, you're still playing within the space of logic. Yeah. Just misu- misusing some things. So the content of a contradiction just cannot exist. No. no. A contradiction can, can exist because exactly. it's an occurrence of you asserting the exactly. contradiction, but there's not actually that thing. Nope. No, absolutely not. And, I think this makes a huge difference Yeah, um, with this pushback of which we were talking about, right? And I feel like this is a thing that it is not always evident. Because I remember even like when I was in grad school, mm-hmm. uh, my roommate, who, <laughs> who I had a contentious relationship with, let's say, <laughs> philosophically and otherwise, um, you know, we were having a discussion one day. And there was a tendency for him to um, walk out of discussions he didn't like. But um, we were having a discussion, 
and I we were both tutoring in logic. Okay. Right? We did this thing called uh, Logic Lab or something, mm-hmm. where we tutored undergrads that would come in in whatever they were doing in their logic classes. And something came up about contradictions. And I said, like, oh, that it's, it's, it's metaphysically impossible. That's what a real contradiction is. It means it can't exist. You know? And he goes, no, no, no. Contradictions, they could exist. And I'm like, ah, that's, you're using the word wrong? And it was because you got to think this was, um, these, these guys were like all Hegelians. Oh, boy. Right? <laughs> and so, but let me say, I feel like they're people who call themselves Hegelians who are unfaithful. Because they say, no, contra- life is complex. Life is full of contradictions. That, that You're using the word in a different right. way. Right. Yeah. You mean a different thing. And yeah. I say, okay, things could be gray. You could be like, I feel this, but I feel this. But that's not what a contradiction is. Yeah. Right? Like I was like, you can't imagine a three-wheeled bicycle. Yeah. And he'll be like, yes, I can. I'm like, no. no. you can't. That's a tricycle. No, you can't. <laughs> exactly. But but yeah, go on. Yeah, no, no that's, you're correct. That's that's what it is. That's It's impossible to move again once more i think that throughout this whole book the thing that keeps things caged is this this logical form it says there's no escaping there and inside this is going to try to say like hey this is just what it is Mm -hmm. and that's it and of course um those things are expressed in language we can say language is the problem with language we we say is actually somewhere here. I don't remember which one is the proposition. Is that we use the same word for two things? Yes. Or different words for the same thing, and we get confused. And mm-hmm. because we get confused, then we start those philosophical disputes. Yeah. And uh, and and that is the issue. At the end of the day, the issue is people using language and therefore concepts the wrong way. Mm-hmm. Because again, a proposition. Uh, for him is, a, how can we say, the, uh, how does he say, rather, is the, the, the perceivable way in which we express a concept. And so how much of disputes are purely linguistic? Well, he thinks most of them. Yeah, I, I, of them. <laughs> this is another thing I always agreed with, because it's like when you get into an intense disagreement with someone, and you follow it through for however long, you wind up coming out on the other side sometimes being like, oh, we don't actually disagree about the facts about reality. We just thought we did because we were using the same word to mean two different things. Yes, which, I mean, we know for a fact that philosophers since Socrates have been trying to figure this out, yes, right? Yes, But he makes it clear and he says, well, you know what? And I think the way he makes it clear, it's neat because he thinks that all propositions are Again, expression, like uh, sensible expression of, of thoughts. This is the way in which we access thought, pretty mm-hmm. much. And then he says that all propositions are language. And because we dispute about propositions, because it's the only thing that we can dispute about, mm-hmm. all disputes are verbal disputes, are disputes Literally. about language, yes. And this means there's no non-linguistic thoughts. Absolutely. There okay. <laughs> so this is the part where I start to be a little more skeptical because everything <laughs> up until here, I'm like, yeah, you know, I, I think I arrived at these similar conclusions. Mm-hmm. Um, but when we get into this idea of linguistic versus non-linguistic thoughts, because um, like you, one might ask, what about a feeling? 
that's unformed or something is that linguistic? And I know you have said in the past <laughs> when we would argue about this, like, no, it's already linguistic. Yes, and I think that this comes from here. It comes from, from studying these things. Um, so if I had to be faithful to what he's saying, he will say that something like a feeling mm -hmm. is not even conceptualizable. Mm -hmm. So it's not thought. It doesn't pertain to the sphere of things of which we can talk about. Mm -hmm. It goes outside. A feeling can only be shown, he would say. Is, we does can that only mean it's point not real? It. No, it means that we just cannot have disagreements about feelings. Ah. It means that it's not that's outside of this box of which we can talk about. Is a feeling the case? It's something that's the case. Um, is it a fact? A relational things? Probably. But yeah. it cannot say, it's one of those things that cannot be expressed through language and through thoughts. In fact, I think it's like also gotcha. common sense, right? We'd say that thoughts and feelings are two different things, like right, being rational. Right, right, being, right. So he's saying that there's, that is somewhere else so this this gets us into the area of like okay if it's a fact does that mean there could be non-linguistic facts no okay so the <laughs> feelings we can't say are facts then sometimes probably not yeah okay right, so you want to go on to the next proposition sure sure okay should we i think the one what are we doing for yeah the fourth one the good translation says a thought is a proposition with sense yeah <laughs> What does that mean? <laughs> <laughs> I thought it was a proposition with sense. It means that, a, so he's inverting things here, right? Because mm -hmm. he's telling us that what a thought is, is a proposition, something that we say mm -hmm. that has some sort of meaning that makes yeah. sense. I should say, I probably, that's, good. that's, that's yeah. the best way to say it. It's a proposition that, ha that makes sense. Mm -hmm. Um um, somebody might say, why are you making the difference, the difference between meaning and sense? Because these two things are different, right? Mm. Meaning is the thing that the proposition is describing properly, while sense for him is the way in which the proposition is describing it. Mm. For example, a uh, famous example from another philosopher, right? The proposition... Uh, this is the night star mm, okay. and this is the morning star. These two propositions have the same meaning, the same referent, which is Venus, the planet, not even a star, but that's mm -hmm, what we, mm -hmm. we call it, right? While they have a different sense, right? Because they express the same thing in a different way. Right, they're kind of pointing to the same reality reality while pointing to different modalities of the reality or different ways you can conceive of the same modality yeah. or something it's just you're expressing that in two different ways yeah right? um so this okay the way i think about this is to say that what a thought is it's a it's a proposition that's not nonsensical thought is yeah yeah. Right? Yeah. So it's not nonsensical. And I feel like these are words that, um, you know how a lot of the time in philosophy, there are really technical terms that make their way into everyday speak and yep. they mean something different. Yeah. For example, the phrase, oh, that makes sense. <laughs> right? Yeah. 
oh, you know, I'm going to go to the mall, and then after that, I'm going to go pick up the stuff because then I'll be right next to the daycare and I can go get the kids. Oh, that makes sense. <laughs> right. And what you mean when you say that is that's if that's efficient, that benefits me, yeah. uh, it, it's effective, it's good. That's not what he means here, right? <laughs> no, definitely But he not. says something makes sense. He means it <laughs> exists, it can exist as a legitimate possibility yes in the world yes that it, it is possible it's to exist logical <laughs> yes it yes. makes sense yes so nonsense is the thing we said before where you express something that seemingly contradicts what is logically possible but actually doesn't yes. so four-sided triangle is nonsense yes. it literally has no content yes Yes. It is. It, yes, and it's it's you're using the form the wrong way. You're using the word the wrong way. Yes. Yeah, and so again, nonsense. You might be like, wait, but I could think of like a hippo dancing with a cigar, right? Like that's nonsensical. Again, he doesn't mean that. Yeah. He means you got to look at words literally, right? If sense is something being logically possible, then nonsense is something not being logically possible. Correct. Right? Or something being logically impossible, like to say A is not A or something like that, mm -hmm. you know? Yeah, and uh, again, even more striking, then he says something like that. All propositions, the totality of propositions, is language. Yeah. Which obviously means what? That everything that can be said makes up this thing that we call language. Mm-hmm. Um, it could do everything that thought could do. Yes. There yes. are no nonsensical thoughts. No. Okay. No. And no nonsensical... Well, there's nonsensical language on the surface, but there's no like actual nonsensical semantic content because that's impossible. That's imp yes, that's yeah. what he's saying. Okay. That's what he's saying. And uh, I think that this concept of language that he has is interesting because it's very different than it's more efficient <laughs> if you want what he wants to do mm -hmm. uh, than what we usually describe. Um, and it's interesting because he says things like, um, you know, a language, lang we should purify our language, right? We should make our lang uh, language efficient, like eliminating all synonyms for example mm. and he thinks that we should have uh we should create a language that is made out of signs and symbols mm -hmm. so we dissipate all sorts of um how can we say inconsistencies and all those things they make us think the the prepositional calculus perhaps. exactly exactly something like that and uh and he says something like look if we there's one of those propositions like 4.003 <laughs> that he says something like um, proposition and questions that have been written on philosophical stuff mm -hmm. are mainly not false but nonsensical. So 4.003, right? Yeah, okay. Let me go. It, this is like so technical. I know. There we go. So the the English version is oops. No. It's okay. Most propositions and questions that have been written about philosophical matters are not false but senseless. Mm. 
We cannot, therefore, answer questions of this kind at all, but only state their senselessness. Most questions and propositions of the philosophers result from the fact that we do not understand the logic of our language. They are the same kind as the question whether the good is more or less identical to the beautiful, than the beautiful, not to the beautiful. And so it is not to be wondered uh, at the deepest problems are really no problems. Which So he's drawing a distinction here, uh, in essence, between falsity and senselessness. Yes. Because a false proposition can exist. Yeah, absolutely. You could imagine the content of a false proposition, but a senseless proposition has no meaning. meaning. Yeah. So, in other words, uh, the this cup is weighs 500 pounds. Mm -hmm. That's a false proposition. I can assure you that. <laughs> <laughs> Unless I'm really strong. <laughs> but you, it means something, right? Like, you can imagine a cup that is 500 pounds. Exactly. It, it makes sense. Yes. However, mm -hmm. if I said uh, this cup is not a cup, that's... That's not false. It's neither true nor false. Perhaps it is senseless. It's senseless. Because you can't even imagine what that means. Yes, and he's saying that most of the things that we do, mm -hmm. <laughs> philosophy, is written with this kind of senseless propositions. So what do we what do we think, if you were to go into this, what are yeah. things that you think Wittgenstein might say are issues we're concerned with that are actually senseless? It's me and you specifically? Sure. Uh, I don't know about any of or just the history of, I don't know, I metaphysics. Think, I think with the history of philosophy, it's easier, right? There's all identifying, for any, you know, the example here, it's, I think, with, with taking a job at like Plato, things like that. Mm -hmm. Is the good identical to itself? Mm -hmm. Or is the good more identical to itself than beauty? Or mm -hmm. are these two things the same things? It's like, what? Are, what is this? What are we talking about? All the, probably all sorts of, medieval questions about the universals and all mm -hmm. the stuff. He probably thinks that they're nonsensical mm. or oh, forget about things like Heraclitus and, mm. and, and permit the pre-Socratics, right? Um, I don't know. Hegel for sure. <laughs> <laughs> I find this very interesting because that I probably even Oster. What is this crazy noise? I don't know if you guys can hear this, but there's like an earthquake in the walls right now. I think it's outside. Okay. Should well, let's hope that's not uh, something bad. Should we go see? Yeah, let's go check this real quick. Okay. So we examined the earthquake in the walls. <laughs> We're fine. Uh, everything is fine. It's just raining. Heavy. Yeah. It's, it was like big, big, huge thunder probably. So we were saying there's this issue of like, oh, some topics that have been discussed in the history of philosophy mm -hmm. are kind of like non-issues because they refer to uh, nonsense. Yes. And we said maybe Plato's an example, maybe the medievals, and maybe Hegel. So I was saying this is interesting to me because I feel like in general, when I've come across stuff that is called quote-unquote analytic philosophy mm -hmm. which we don't yet know what that means um there has been this tendency to be like oh all that old stuff mm -hmm. 
is silly. They're like talking about magic and they're talking about things that aren't rigorous. And this is so weird to me because I am drawn to the like hyper logical thing that they are. But mm -hmm. I think this stuff is hyper logical. Like I feel like to really think about the theory of forms is you have to get into these super intense concept maps. Absolutely. Right? And you're talking about a definition and comparing it to other definitions and seeing whether items are in this particular, or this set or some other set. Mm -hmm. And you talk about the medievals, like that's hyper logic, like Peter Absolutely. Abelard and, and William of Ockham and this thing about universals in particulars. And mm -hmm. I, I'm not a Hegelian, but I know uh, they would defend, like one time in my Hegel class, I told uh, my professor Jennifer Bates that I thought it was poetic. And she got really mad at me. <laughs> she was like, it's not poetic. It's logically rigorous. Oh, so the point is, this, though I share his rigor yeah. and the spirit of what's happening, I'm like so surprised that we, look, we can look back at these historical philosophers that the Continentals, again, whatever that means, study, mm -hmm. and see that as something other than. And I wonder if that's just an issue of like, misinterpretation or mispresentation i think that his preoccupation at this moment leads him to believe that we need to cut that thing off because it cannot be clearly expressed mm -hmm. because somehow There's more thunder <laughs> somehow is not expressed clearly he cannot be said in a way that cannot lead to confusion. Mm -hmm. So just in case we need to cut it out. I find it similar to two other thinkers, two things that have two other things that things that thinkers have done in the past. One is Descartes. Mm -hmm. When he says, you know what? Right now I'm not gonna trust anything that comes through my senses. This is going to be taken out and i think that's what he's doing with this book right here so this is wittgenstein's meditation yes <laughs> okay and the other the other person that comes to mind is kant uh, okay that, is, that he says we cannot talk about and when we talk about the antinomies and when we talk about ethics and god and beauty those are not things we cannot really talk about this these are all paralogisms right these are mm -hmm. all things that we are trying to explore things that cannot be explored. Mm -hmm. However, we know very well that Descartes then goes back and says, well, now I'm at the point where I can actually trust again what my senses are telling me because all the old cogito process and everything mm -hmm, else. Mm -hmm. And then Kant writes the other two critiques, right? Right, right, right. And after this, I mean, he just takes a little hiatus from philosophy because he thinks he has solved everything. But then he Wittgenstein comes back and writes the philosophical investigations and other things, but he kind of goes in the opposite direction. Mm -hmm. But I think he redeems all those things somehow. Not mm -hmm. directly, but he does. And this is when the analytics kind of disown him. <laughs> and yet he still uses, well, in this one, he hasn't used the language of game, but he does use that in the investigations. Yes. And I find that interesting because for me, when I'm looking at this, I see it very much as like game rules. Mm -hmm. uh, and it might be interesting to think about how these game rules that he's setting up in the Tractatus are different from the game rules and in investigations or rather the way he's even conceiving of what game rules mean. Yeah. Uh, well, I think that the main, I mean, the 
Wittgenstein distinction between this and the investigation 101 mm -hmm. could be that for him here, the meaning of... This work. is the loudest <laughs> thunder I've ever experienced. <laughs> the meaning of words. This is crazy. So just in case... Okay, we're like <laughs> taking off our headphones, <laughs> listening to what sounds like explosions. And we know it's not. We know it's just the bad weather. Imagine if it was. And this is like the last remnants of us as this recording. <laughs> that Wittgenstein all, out of all people. Oh, man. That's not going to be my last words. <laughs> um, I was saying that the, the difference, the main difference between the two books is like in here, he thinks that meaning is, you know, logic. It's like the, the, the what can we say, the ultimate thing. And he has this, this representational idea of what meaning is the mm -hmm. meaning is the the you know what's reflected uh from the world and whatever it is while in the in the investigation as you're saying it is more like the the the, the rules or the game is the rules of language make make the meaning of it mm. which is completely different right 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 because over there there's nothing that it's nonsensical in principle Mm -hmm. But rather, it's depending on how we structure the rule of the game or the language game in that sense, mm -hmm. and then Plato is okay because you're structuring that in the rule of the game, the language game that was Platonic back then, right? Mm. While here is there's a cut, like those things, nonsensical, absolutely nonsensical. Do you? And he goes forward by saying that all philosophy is language critique. So this is what philosophy should do: language should cut critique. out. Should cut out everything that's bad. Hmm. Well, then he goes on to say, right, proposition number five, mm -hmm. right? He says, propositions are truth functions of elementary propositions. <laughs> Here is where I think it gets more difficult. Yes. And I think that while we can attempt to talk about this, and we probably could. I don't know how functional this is for our discussion. Yeah, so maybe let me try and say it in a simpler language and you mm -hmm. you correct it how you see fit. Mm -hmm. um, so a claim, and first of all, let me see the other translation because, again, I was working with the one I like less. So the, the other way of saying this is to say that a proposition is a truth function. Oh, no, this one's the same. <laughs> Shit. This is one where they say the same thing. Uh, okay, so a claim about something mm -hmm. has a, is a certain kind of function mm -hmm. or way that something is or does yes. of more fundamental claims. Yes. Okay. Now, Correct. how would you make that better? I can't. <laughs> <laughs> Can we give an example of a proposition versus an elementary proposition? Um, think of it in, in terms of, okay, maybe a good way of explaining this could be uh, thinking of an elementary proposition is the cup is on the table. Mm-hmm. That might be an elementary proposition, let's say, right? Um, while uh, a non-elementary proposition could be in the room, 
Mm-hmm. There is a table, and by the look, and there are chairs, and the light is on, and so on, and the cup is on the table, and I'm about to grab it. Mm-hmm. So the only way in which it can be true that I'm about to grab this cup is if the elementary proposition, the cup is on the table, is there. Okay. That's what I thought you were going to say. Yeah. But the thing that's confusing to me about that is is that last story you told seems to be multiple propositions. So, like, to me, mm-hmm. I, I feel like I thought this was going to mean something like a complex claim is a truth function of a like collection of simple claims. But... S- but a claim by definition mm-hmm. is like one assertion. And if you make multiple assertions. So the only example I could think of was like, when the cup is on the table, this is when I leave the room or mm. something like that. I, I, but, I, but I don't know. Uh, yeah. Like a complex claim is just an argument. Yeah. Well, we need to think that what he thinks about truth functions and therefore... It's like it's, it's like this table that he has over here, where it's if if p then q. The truth tables. Yes, that's okay. that's what he's talking about. This so is the, what, if this you can't see this, Google what a truth table is. Yeah, it's a big chart with t's and f's and lines. Yeah, that's that's what he's thinking about. That's why. Okay. I think it's hard for us to to get into oh, that. There it is. I knew there it was going to happen. There so is your alarm. For those of you guys who don't know about this, I have. Um, an absurd <laughs> amount of alarms that tell me to do everything like breathe and left foot and right foot like hundreds so there's one telling me to breathe <laughs> so you want to go over this one and go to the next one which is even more confusing no i think we can skip six completely like the the at least we can skip six can you pronounce it sure before we skip it just so people know why we're skipping it sure the general form of truth function is p c ni see <laughs> <laughs> so yeah so take that with what you want yes we don't want to we don't want to get there i think though that we didn't um we didn't five right there are few things that we can say sure um there are and, and again i promise we won't spend um much and within six there are also a few things that are worth um talking about um, so within five, mm-hmm. for example, there is there is a couple of propositions that are like super interesting. And they're being interpreted a million times. For example, five point six. Okay. Very simple, and it's one of those that people are blown away by it. Usually, I'm sure I was the first time I read it. Okay. So let's read five point six. Mm-hmm. Okay, five point six says. This is one that's important. The limits of my language means the limits of my world. Yeah. It's just, again, the first time I read this, I was like, whoa. Yeah, it's like a mic drop. <laughs> <laughs> like, what are you talking about? Um, what does that mean? It means like that the way the language is my privileged way mm-hmm. of accessing the world. And the limits of my language, what I can think, what I can put into words, are the limits of my world, literally. 
So do you have the German in front of you, or is that just no, the Italian? No, it's just the Italian one. Because I'm wondering if if uh, this would be like mich Welt, like my yeah. world, versus the it's world. My, it's my world. So it doesn't say that the limit of language is the limit of the world. No, it says the, limit, the limits of my, my language, language of my world. Okay. So he's saying that, and again, you can read this there. Like a, I don't know how many interpretations of this there so are. So what's what's your way of, of understanding you can, this? You can understand this in the relativistic way, mm-hmm. right? That's, you know, all I get is from my perspective, but this doesn't is not consistent with all the rest. I think that what he's talking about is that my language, literally what I can think, which equals to what I can say, is the limitation that I have. It describes because my because language describes the world, mm-hmm. the limits of that delimits my world as well. That I think that's what I would think too. My there is nothing. So in other words, everything I could think, mm-hmm. that's all that's part of my mm-hmm. reality. If yeah. I can't think it, it's not yet. Maybe yeah, but yes. And if you read like the very first piece of five the, the proposition right after that oh so he says logic fills the world the limits of the world are also its limits so the limits of the world are also the limits of logic yes we cannot therefore say in logic this and this there is in the world that there is not because everything is already in the, the right yes. the system okay so and he's saying that logic is pervades the world like it is within the world and the two limits are the same. Mm-hmm. So within the space of logic, of course, some people might have, how can we say, a better grasp of it, if you want. Mm-hmm. They have more tools, more logical tools to understand the world, and their limits of the world or, or, of their world will be different than the limits of somebody that, is, that knows more. It's like, think of, uh, you know, on a very basic level. If I know all the words... Mm-hmm. That exist in English, of course, I have, I, I'm able to say more things than someone who knows five words. Yeah, I was just watching um, something the other day online about language development in children, and it was expl- it was talking about this idea that mm-hmm. when children don't hear adults speaking consistently mm-hmm. in person. Um, then their vocabulary is lim- is limited, and therefore they struggle in school because they struggle to develop mentally. Mm-hmm. And they tell this parallel, you know, like they tell this hypothetical story of like this one girl whose mother reads to her and has conversations with her, um, versus this boy who is raised by uh, not the mom, but like a nanny who's not a native speaker, so she has less words, and so. The one girl, the the mm-hmm. former, is capable of thinking in all these different colors and expressing herself in all these different ways. Mm-hmm. And, you know, this is not just a cup, but it's also round and it's clear and yeah. it's ridged um, and it's, it's uh, you know, it, it's refractory. Mm-hmm. It has all these different phenomena, all these different things you can refer to that you can think. Whereas the boy in, in the the latter case... It's just circle. 
Mm-hmm. It, there's literally less things yes. in his toolbox, and so his world is much smaller yeah. and less colorful. Look, I can tell you one of the things that I that I that happened to me when I moved here, right? Of course, my uh, I'm able to say things in Italian with much more precisions that I had that I can't say in English, and it was a struggle, still is a struggle. Mm-hmm. Sometimes I need to go and look up words how to say that in English because it's a peculiar, specific word, and this hurt my the existence of my world the moment I, I moved here, right? Mm. And it's not exactly what Wittgenstein means here, right? It's not from one language to the other, but it's a good. But you're metaphor. missing something yes. in the in the English speaking world. Yeah, absolutely, yeah. absolutely. Uh, and then there is like a couple of propositions that I thought. Of you while reading them. Okay, well, let's see if I wrote about them because this might be where I started generalizing. Uh, It's still 5.6 to 1. So it's like a couple. Oh, the world and life are one. And then read the next one. (laughs) I am my world. And the next one was exactly the one that I was talking about. (laughs) Okay, I'm excited. The thinking. Presenting subject. (laughs) I'm laughing because I just read the next thing. There is no such thing. If I wrote a book, quote, the world as I found it, end quote, I should also have therein to report on my body and say which members obey my will and which do not, etc. This then would be a method of isolating the subject or rather of showing that in an important sense there is no subject. That is to say, of it alone in this book, mention could not be made. And I'm going to let you speak on this. <laughs> so. Oh, and if you want, you can read the next line. Okay, the subject is. <laughs> He's having a good old time here. <laughs> the subject does not belong to the world, but is a limit of the world. All right, so let me. So this is the part where I just started reading the main things because I was taking so long. But so mm-hmm. let me think about this. The world and life are one. Mm-hmm. That one doesn't seem too controversial, right? Mm-hmm. I, I think that's actually kind of Heideggerian to me. Yeah. Right? Being a human, what it is like to be a human is to be in this network of inter- interrelations of meaning and like being with other people and other things. That, cool. Mm-hmm. I am my world that makes sense mm-hmm. um i don't know if there is in this transition that you have there is a parenthesis that says microcosm yes the mm-hmm. microcosm mm-hmm. which is interesting because to say to say i am the microcosm mm-hmm. is to imply that it's a microcosm of something macro mm-hmm. meaning there's my world and the world mm-hmm. and the my world happens within the world my limits right and so this is why maybe we can take that previous proposition to mean mm-hmm. the limit of my language is a limit of my world Correct. and not the limit of my language is a limit of the world. Correct. Okay. Um, I am my world. I, I don't on its face have any issue with that. Um, and I actually kind of think it's something that I'm going to draw upon in, in support of what I'm thinking to counteract what he says next. <laughs> There is no such thing as a thinking, presenting subject. What is the Italian word for presenting there? It says imagining, actually. Imagining. There's no such thing as a subject that thinks or imagines. 
That's very weird because it's almost as if he's <laughs> writing about the process of imagining <laughs> and thinking. If, I mean, my my initial. I'm, I'm going to be cheeky here. <laughs> uh, that's nonsense. He's using language <laughs> wrong. Uh, and I think so. I was thinking about you because I knew you had something to object. And again, maybe to clarify that the comp. And I think it's cool what we're seeing here because. Again, you started doing general stuff, right? So this is probably you're seeing philosophers dealing with a text, yes, uh, like in 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 real time, right? I think that that proposition is complicated, right? If we go for five point six three three, he's saying the same thing, I think, in a more accessible way, and I think you will have more. <laughs> I mean, and I I kind of agree with. 5.633. So here's 5.633. And he has italics here, so that means you have to say it mm -hmm. in this way. Where in the world is a metaphysical subject to be noted? You say that this case is altogether like that of the eye and the field of sight. Or in other words, that there's an experiencer, mm -hmm. just like for any sight, there's mm -hmm. the eye having the, the sight. But you do not really see the eye. And from nothing in the field of sight can it be concluded uh, that it is seen from an eye. Yeah, I mean, I think this is, this very much runs counter to, I think, the most basic principle, which is intentionality of consciousness, mm -hmm. right? That consciousness is always consciousness of something. You only ever have the thing that you're conscious of. Mm -hmm. But like it must come from somewhere. And the reason you could figure this out is because you can alter your gaze or you're seizing upon the object. And that thing you're altering is not the object itself, but it is your your window on the object. So, I mean, if I'm looking at this, here's how here's why I would say this is wrong about <laughs> the eye. This one, I have a concrete thing I can say. Um, I, I'm looking at this uh, cup. Right, with the, the tea strainer in it. Mm -hmm. Okay. The question is, n supposedly nothing in this field of sight necessarily implies a locus of the sight or the eye. Mm -hmm. um, but if I'm looking at this cup and then I start like moving my eyes, mm -hmm. the object's not changing, but mm -hmm. something in my field of vision is changing. So this must mean there's a locus of vision that I'm altering. I think you would say that what that means is that something that's changing within your field of vision, which is the only thing that you can say, because you're not seeing the eye. And again, I'm not saying that no, he's no, right 100%. I know, 100%, I know. And I, know. I don't want to put you on the spot with any of this, but it's, um, it's, it's interesting because he moves from there and then, you know, going forward, like uh, under proposition number six, it says something like, it is clear that we cannot do any ethics. Mm -hmm. There is no ethics, right? Ethics is transcendental. So it, can, it needs to be taken out, right? Sure, and he says 5.634, this is connected with the fact that no part of our experience is also a priori. Mm -hmm. um, everything we see could also be otherwise. Everything we can describe at all could be otherwise. There is no order of things a priori. Mm -hmm. Okay. So this, I think, is 
there's an I think there's an error here. Mm-hmm. And it's like, oh, who am I? The great Wittgenstein. <laughs> but I think there's an error here because correct empirical things mm-hmm. are all a posteriori, right? Claims about empirical things. Mm-hmm. But that is not the same thing as primordial structures of experience, mm-hmm. right? And mm-hmm. so this is, this totally to me runs counter against Kant, runs counter against Husserl, right? Because from experience, from this goes to our last episode, mm-hmm. eidetic variation, um, as Husserl would talk about, you could derive that, oh, there must be some a priori structures to my experience. Mm-hmm. In other words, right, nothing a priori can be said about the content of experience other than the fact that the content is given through some forms which you can know about a priori. So I think what he's doing here is talking about the laws of logic, talking about the laws of the world, which I'm, which I'm cool with. But my response would be, uh, this means laws of experience. I, so I see what you're saying. But I think that he's a little bit less far away from what you think, that okay. you think. If you read the next two propositions, All right. <laughs> I think we'll, we'll get... This is where we need the gin yeah. right, and the Johnny Walker. 5.64 and 5.06. Here, we see the sol- that solipsism, or in other words, the view that nothing but the individual subject exists, strictly carried out coincides with pure realism. The I in solipsism shrinks to an extensionless point, and there remains the reality coordinated with it. So if you fall into absolute subjectivity... This, in a way, falls into an absolute realism because exactly. everything the subject perceives is directly real to the subject. And now it's going to concede that there is an I, actually, if you read the next one. Oh, well, <laughs> there's he, a subject he to keep going. <laughs> there, is, <laughs> there is therefore really a sense in which, in philosophy, we can talk of a non-psychological I. That's funny because I wasn't talking about a psychological Mm -hmm. eye. Uh, The eye occurs in philosophy through the fact that the, quote, world is my world. The philosophical eye is not the man, not the human body, or the human soul of which psychology treats, but the metaphysical subject, the limit, not a part of... That's definitely a flood warning on your phone. No, it's not my phone. It's, It's here. Okay, so there's a flood warning, <laughs> no, no, but there's no. nothing we can do about it. No, I don't think we can do Okay, <laughs> so the I is the limit of the world and not part of the world. This is funny because the alternative would be it's the beginning of the world. Mm-hmm. But I think that's very similar. I think that what he's saying is that the subject, this limit concept that it's the I, right, is... It's just, it's the limit. It's the cookie cutter which we we're talking about, mm-hmm. right? What I think he's saying is that we cannot experience it and understand it and know it philosophically as a metaphysical concept because we would need to be on the other side of it. We never can. So even Kant admits, like this is why he calls it the transcendental ego, right? Because it always accompanies. Mm-hmm. Um, these experiences or sensations, whatever word he uses. But the thing, so I'm trying to see if there's a parallel here with other 
people in the continental tradition, right? So mm-hmm. I think of two people. I think of Hume mm-hmm. and I think of Sartre. Mm-hmm. And Hume in so we know that in uh, the inquiry concerning human understanding, mm-hmm. Hume says all bits of knowledge are broken into relations of ideas and matters of facts, and all experience comes from either impressions or ideas, mm-hmm. right? And an impression is like a raw sense experience, and an idea is like a reflection on the experience, mm-hmm. right? So in his other book, the Treatise of Human Nature he takes up this concept of self and he's like, this is the most basic thing, right? Mm-hmm. Um, but I don't think it's real because mm-hmm. something to be real, you have to either gain knowledge of it through a sense impression or through an idea. Mm-hmm. But the self, you have uh, neither, yes, right? Because you can never it's have a, a sense think, experience of the eye. I think that is exactly the argument here. Right? That is what it is. And nor can you have an idea of the self you can only ever have an idea of one particular uh, impression. And this, like, you, I could have an idea of arm pain when I was seven mm-hmm. or like Christmas when I was 14 or whatever. I can't have an idea of the whole, um, s- says Hume. Similarly, Sartre has this piece, uh, The Transcendence of the Ego. And he talks about how we typically think of the I as the base of experience. And I actually think this is different from what Wittgenstein is saying. We usually think of the I as the base of experience, right? But actually, he says the I is something in experience. Because he says, if you have any experience or have any memory or think of anything, there's never an I. Mm -hmm. You You can only get the I like after the fact Mm. in other words the i is the content of consciousness and not that act or locus of consciousness Mm -hmm. so i could see maybe how this is similar to hume i don't think sartre is on par with wittgenstein because wittgenstein saying it's not a thing in the world whereas sartre is saying no no no, it is a thing Mm -hmm. in the world Mm -hmm. absolutely but you think this is like what hume is saying it's more similar to that definitely Definitely. Okay. I think we should conclude with the very last one. Yeah, let's do that. And even though there are like other nuggets here that we could, but I think we don't have the time to do that. No, I think you're right. And we should, obviously, we can continue talking about the self in another episode or something. And he talks about death and the fact that death is not an event of life. And Mm -hmm. he talks about the fact that there are things that we cannot say what the meaning of the world is and that there are certain things like, we cannot speak about, but they exist and they just show themselves. And probably the subject is one of those things, right? So this last proposition, it's, um, I mean, I feel like it's presented as being so prophetic yeah. that there is no sub-proposition. Like there's no 7.1. No, no. Seven, there's just seven bookends. And I think that we should end the episode just by saying this proposition and that's it for this time. <laughs> and we'd be doing exactly what it says. Exactly. <laughs> so proposition seven, Wittgenstein, Tractatus. What we cannot speak about, we must pass over in silence. Mm-hmm.